Welcome to the Cell Culture Dish podcast, implementing adherent cell culture technology for cell therapy bioprocess. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. This podcast features a panel discussion with experts from Corning Life Sciences to discuss the use of adherent cell culture technologies for cell therapy production, including the types of therapies well-suited for adherent culture, scale-up processes, and thoughts on the future of cell therapy manufacturing. I'm excited to have two experts with us from Corning, and I'm going to ask that each of them introduce themselves. Uh, Ben, would you mind introducing yourselves for our listeners? My name is Ben Josie. I'm a field application scientist for Corning. I cover primarily the southeastern United States. Um, Prior to Corning, I come from a background uh, strong in R&D for both stem cell and immune cell therapies. And uh, now I really enjoy working with customers to help them optimize their cell culture processes and push the whole field forward there. Thanks for joining us today. Austin, would you be able to introduce yourself? My name is Austin Mogan, uh, Senior Field Application Scientist based in Phoenix, Arizona. I cover the Western United States Territory, uh, Canada, and Mexico. I've been with Corning for about three years now before Coming to Corning, I worked as a senior scientist and manufacturing supervisor in the viral vector manufacturing field. And before that, I was working on my PhD at the University of Florida in microbiology and cell science. Right now, primary focus is to help customers integrate different technologies into their bioprocess scale-up workflows from cell, cell and gene therapy to other biologic processes. Thank you. Well, it's great to have both of you here today. And we're going to be talking about implementing adherent cell culture technology for cell therapy. And I have some questions uh, that I wanted to run through. So I want to just go ahead and get started with some basic information about the term cellular therapy. Uh, The term is being used more and more frequently. And I'm hoping that you can describe what a cellular therapy is and why our listeners should be interested. The broad term cellular therapy uh, is used to describe a therapeutic modality that utilizes the cell as the therapy instead of something like a small molecule, protein, or viral vector. Uh, In some ways, cells are like complex miniature machines, uh, and they can therefore be engineered by scientists to provide a therapeutic function such as killing tumor cells, reducing inflammation, uh, or producing insulin to name a few. I'll just chime in a little bit about why listeners should be interested here. A really key point of interest here is the the huge amount of efficacy that some of these new cellular therapies are are showing in clinical trials. Uh, Diseases and conditions that were previously thought untreatable and incurable now have potential treatments, potential cures. And it harnesses the, the body's own natural mechanisms, the cells that are naturally found in your body whether they come from your stem cells, your immune cells, and partners that up with advances in science to use your body's natural processes to help treat and cure itself. It's a really exciting area. We've been covering it for some time, obviously, on on our publication, and it's been very exciting to see how the industry has evolved and all of the new therapeutic opportunities that are available. I want to talk a little bit about the kinds of cellular therapies that would utilize an adherent platform. Could you describe for us a little bit about using the adherent platform for particular cell therapies and what that looks like? Some of the most promising front runners in the adherent cell therapy space currently include 
things like mesenchymal stromal cells and pluripotent stem cells, whether they're being an induced or an embryonic origin. Both of these require an adherent substrate for their native biological function. This would be in comparison to something like an immune cell that naturally exists in the blood uh, and floats around in suspension. These stem cells can then be differentiated into a variety of other cell types. There would be a neuron for treating some sort of brain condition, a cardiomyocyte for heart diseases, islet cells for things like diabetes, etc. Many of these additional cell types, differentiated cell types, are also attachment dependent. So utilizing an adherent platform in this context connects more closely to their, their natural biological origin. Nothing to add there in terms of the kinds of cellular therapies. Ben mostly covered it there. In general, many of the adherent cellular therapies are focused on on stem cell indications. And I think Ben covered that really well uh, with, with his answer. Suspension is something that I want to talk about a little bit because I hear a lot about adherent versus suspension cell cultures and when might you use each. Would it be possible for you to lay out for listeners the benefits of adherent versus suspension and when you might want to use each in cell therapy manufacturing? To a large extent, cell culture platforms seek to mimic the native environment for whatever type of cell is being grown. So for example, cells from solid tissues like muscle are typically more amenable uh, or, or relevant for adherent culture systems, whereas cells from liquid tissues like the blood are better suited for being cultured in suspension. And while it's possible to coax some cells to shift modalities, it often requires extensive adaptation and sometimes genetic modification of the adherent cell lines to make them amenable to suspension culture conditions. Suspension cultures have long had the advantage of being able to grow in traditional large-scale stir-tank bioreactors, which reduces the processing steps and lowers the footprint of the facility. And this has been most relevant for the field of antibody production, uh, utilizing CHO cells, and more recently for the production of viral vectors using HEC-293. However, most stem cell therapies require an adherent substrate. And so there are some newer technologies such as stack vessels, uh, including the hyperstacks, microcarriers, and fixed bed reactors that are really making it possible to scale up to large scale these adherent cell types. We hear a lot about transitioning from adherent platforms during research and trials to suspension when scaling up biological therapies to commercial production. Um, and I'm wondering why this is happening. To me, it seems like in some instances, there's a lot of discussion around scaling up to suspension mainly based on kind of what we've done in traditional biologics. And a lot of times it seems that some cellular therapies are better kept in adherent production. I'm just wondering if you could shed a little bit of light on this discussion around moving from adherent to suspension. This is mostly driven by economics and outdated facility designs and, and probably a little bit also just um, perhaps a, a lack of awareness of some of the advances in the adherent platforms that are currently available. The traditional adherent platforms, such as a, a, a T-flask, the labor in the space required for scaling up in these traditional adherent vessels is just too much. 
while they work really well at the R&D level, when you need that many of them to produce that many cells, it's just too much labor. In addition, a lot of existing bioproduction technologies were developed with the transition from microbial fermentation to single component protein production in mind, which utilized large tanks to achieve economies of scale. Cell therapies are different. The microbial fermentation protein production technologies, they're primarily driving to produce a single component. Cell therapies are more complex and they require a more complex and often more adaptable or modular solution. And the industry is moving towards this realization. Novel adherent technologies have been developed in multiple directions to try and address the need to balance the economies of scale with the unique biological requirements of, of cell therapies. Just briefly adding to that, some of the developments in terms of technology that are really making it possible to scale up the adherent cell culture workflows include things like microcarriers, uh, as well as uh, novel technologies in fixed-bed bioreactor design. Uh, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more uh, later on, but there really has been an increase in the development of technologies that are pushing the boundaries of what we can do in terms of culturing adherent cells at large scale. That makes sense. I think it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit about what's unique about adherent platforms for stem cell applications. In the context of stem cell culture, one significant advantage that adherent platforms have is the ability to utilize various surface modifications. When you just zoom in biologically, most stem cells exist in contact-dependent uh, niches, wherein their direct contact with other cells as well as the extracellular matrix components plays a major role in, in the maintenance of their stemness, meaning their ability to differentiate into different cell types. And that is particularly relevant when we talk about the therapeutic value of these cells. Uh, programmed cell death can occur in anchorage-dependent cells when they detach from the surrounding ECM uh, and is a well-recognized issue in stem cell cultures. When using adherent platforms, it's possible to apply coatings that mimic the relevant extracellular matrix components. Uh, this is not possible in suspension, and in some ways, microcarriers are a product that can bridge the gap. So they are a small spherical bead that can be used in a suspension system like a bioreactor, but they can also be coated with relevant extracellular matrix proteins, which, as I mentioned earlier, are helpful for culturing stem cells. I'll just add on to that. Microcarriers, they do bridge this gap to some extent, and they are a really great solution for many situations. However, they also do introduce their own set of challenges around process optimization uh, when someone's coming from a traditional 2D vessel and then moving into that large format. And so it's, it's something to really take into consideration the, uh, the, the process development time, if that is a good solution or if one of these other advanced adherent platforms will more accurately address the needs of a, a particular situation. Having discussed the advantages and some of the unique opportunities that adherent platforms present, it would be great to talk about the different platforms themselves. So I was hoping that you could talk about the different adherent cell culture platforms that are available to choose from and describe a little bit more about them. In the context of stem cells, 
most people are going to be familiar with 2D planar vessels like tea flasks. These are widely used in research, but they quickly become limited at production scales. So if you want to go the, the next level up from tea flasks, this would enter into the realm of stacked vessels, like the Corning cell stack, for example. These are essentially just big tea flasks that are connected and stacked in layers. The top tier in the stacked vessel evolution would be the Corning Hyper technology, for example, the Hyper Stack. These are very similar in function to something like a cell stack, stacked vessel. However, they maximize the amount of growth surface area achievable in a particular given footprint. And they achieve this by using a proprietary gas permeable film to allow gas exchange to occur in, a, in an even homogeneous fashion throughout the culture vessel without the need for any additional gassing strategies. What all of these systems have in common is that the, the growth environment there is static, meaning that the cells sit in a stationary media that is then exchanged at intervals. So moving up in scale from 2D planers are the microcarriers, which are considered a 3D system using small spherical beads, like Austin mentioned, paired with some form of a suspension bioreactor. This is a, a hybrid adherent suspension system. Lastly, there are a, a variety of structured support bioreactors, such as fixed bed bioreactors, um, packed bed, uh, and hollow fiber reactors. These systems combine a substrate with bioreactor technology, wherein you're able to grow adherent cells attached to a, a surface while in some fashion flowing fresh media past the cells. These systems add in some additional process optimization challenges, but they also provide huge benefits in the context of the ability to monitor things like uh, dissolved oxygen, pH, and particular metabolites if, if someone is so interested, which can be very useful in optimizing a process and bringing it up to production capacities. What are the considerations for manufacturing cell therapies using some of the adherent systems that you described? So there are some advantages and disadvantages to each platform and, and each technology. When it comes to 2D planar stack vessels, they have the advantage of very low barrier to entry with low upfront investment costs, uh, as well as a high degree of flexibility. These are single-use vessels typically, and so the primary cost involved is just purchasing the, the uh, vessel. But of course, you have to have incubator space and a clean room space. But ultimately, there's a minimal capital investment cost associated with these vessels. In addition to that, the process development is minimized because the cells typically behave very similarly to the processes that, that are utilized to culture them in a tea flask. This essentially provides a simple transition from R&D to scale up. One example of this is the Corning Hyperstack. Uh, cells typically perform very similarly in the Hyperstack compared to a T-flask. So it's usually the initial choice when there are considerations around time to market and, be, and minimizing the process development time as much as possible. Whether you use one stack or 60 stacks, the cells that are being cultured in those vessels are consistently exposed to the same amount of media per surface area. This makes the system very modular, meaning you can add hyperstack vessels in, take them out, and uh, scale out, meaning use more vessels uh, to meet the needs of a given production run. 
On the other hand, 2D stack vessels are limited in their compatibility with inline process monitoring, and the labor involved to handle these vessels at commercial scale can become quite significant. One alternative that Ben mentioned is the microcarriers, uh, which offer the combination of maximizing the surface area. As you can imagine, the surface area of a sphere is larger than the surface area of a flat planar base. They combine that maximized surface area with the process control of a bioreactor, meaning you put the microcarrier beads in a bioreactor and you have that process control component. These systems can be difficult to optimize. It is a much more complicated system. And so the process development time is usually extended beyond what you would typically see for a stack vessel process. For cell therapy research applications, a dissolvable microcarrier, such as Corning's dissolvable microcarriers, can provide a substantial benefit specifically for the cell harvest step. Another technology that is becoming more popular are structured support bioreactors which offer a nice balance between the 2D systems and the 3D microcarriers. Because they can offer the high surface area to the volumetric footprint of a microcarrier, thereby reducing the space requirements and handling, as well as the process control of a bioreactor. For some applications, uh, similar process development time to, to 2D vessels can be achieved. And historically, though, it has been uh, difficult to effectively harvest cells from these systems. However, recent advances in these fixed-bed reactor technologies are now making it possible to actually harvest cells from these systems. And I want to talk about that a little bit more, specifically about the challenges of scaling up stem cells for clinical and commercial stem cell therapy, because I know that's a big topic and scaling up is really important. Could you shed some light on these challenges that companies are facing when they go to scale up these cells? I can touch on that briefly, but I'll start with that saying that there are many challenges that face companies in this space. The challenges are different depending on, in in the context of the, the manufacturing only. So if we isolate that question just to the component of the cell manufacturing, these different challenges really depend on various parts of the system. I'd say kind of across the board, there is a need to produce large numbers of cells tens to hundreds of billions of cells. And doing this without altering the underlying biology of the cells, which then would impact the therapeutic effect. So, of course, there's this need to uh, accomplish that within a commercially viable cost of production. In this context of stem cells, many of these cells, they're, they're not infinitely expandable. So they differ from more traditional protein production, cell line expansions. So achieving efficiency in doubling times, passage numbers, such like that becomes uh, much more critical. And doing this in a way that, again, you can reach the scale, maintain biological function and relevance while meeting the the limits of production costs are really some big challenges that uh, the field faces there. A few of the other challenges that are really specific to the scaling up of stem cells are around decreasing process variability and increasing the consistency of the bioproduction process. Cells are complicated things. You know, they are composed of nucleic acids, proteins, lipids. They're quite complicated. And so when you're putting them into a production system, it's really critical to have a robust production process so you maintain consistency throughout that process, both within the individual process, but between production lots. Because when you're producing something that's a therapy, you need to make sure that the therapy 
from one lot is produced and comparable to the therapy produced in a future lot. And so that ties into challenges associated with the production process itself and trying to automate some of those parts of the process. So there's less manual steps and less introduction of variability due to the operators. But also that ties into analytics and having the right analytics in place to be able to properly measure the cellular characteristics, which are often called the critical to quality attributes. And so all of that ties together and really becomes a big challenge in analyzing the actual cellular product and maintaining consistency throughout the actual process to produce these cells. We've done a great job covering the challenges, as Ben mentioned, many challenges. So let's talk about what recommendations are available for scientists who are looking to scale up their stem cell culture, and what would you recommend that would help with these challenges? In some situations, the best advice is to start at the beginning and take things one step at a time. This is not one of those situations. So usually when you're talking about a bioprocess and designing that, that process, it's beneficial to start with the end goal in mind and be prepared to adapt. For example, it's important to define upfront both the scale required to meet the necessary therapeutic dose, as well as the, as I mentioned before, the critical to quality attributes of that therapy. And so this can be applied to clinical trials, as well as commercial scale-up operations, and really helps to determine both the scale-up platform, as well as the attributes of your final product that need to be maintained from the research scale all the way up through to the commercial scale platform. So that is really critical and is a big challenge right now. And so defining those things up front and ensuring that you have robust assays in place and that you're able to take accurate measurements throughout your process as you're developing it to maintain consistency is what I would recommend as a good starting place. That's really good advice. If I could ask you to look into the crystal ball and kind of see what the future holds, how do you see the future of stem cell therapy manufacturing evolving and specifically adherent-based manufacturing? It'll probably end up going in in a, a couple of different routes. There'll be some very interesting and specialized technology to address situations that are just as unique as all of the different cells that are being grown. I think in spite of all of these technological advancements, current bioreactors are are still relatively primitive. In the body, these cells, they exist in a biologically relevant anchorage-dependent context within a, a constantly monitored and updated recirculation system. So if I were to give a simple answer here, I, I think I see the, the future moving in this direction with scalable modular bioreactor units that possess some kind of internal biocompatible scaffolding uh, and mostly connected to a, to a mostly automated recirculation system with uh, adaptable online monitoring. Adding to uh, Ben's comment, I really see one of the future uh, focuses of therapy manufacturing uh, space is really in the automation and online monitoring. We are getting to a point where we've developed some really uh, robust and future-looking scale-up technologies for scaling up and culturing these cells at large scale. 
However, many of these processes are still quite manual. So that can introduce that variability in, into the process that we talked about before. So automating many of the process steps as well as uh, having online monitoring involved. So the, the actual analytics of quantifying the cell characteristics being online and in real time instead of taking days to, to actually generate that data. But then lastly, and one area that we haven't really talked about is the downstream processing. Being able to handle a large amount of cells and process them after they've been harvested from the cell culture scale-up system, there still needs to be some work done there to uh, increase the scale of the um, downstream processing technology. So we are moving in the, in the right direction. And you know it, it's a really exciting time for the uh, stem cell therapy field uh, as we start to develop these technologies. Yes, I agree. Definitely very exciting and interesting to see the developments and the technologies that are being created to handle some of these challenges that you mentioned and be uh, more fit for purpose for some of these specific applications. I really want to thank both of you for being on the podcast and for answering these questions. I think this is a really important topic and certainly an exciting area in terms of therapeutics. But as we mentioned, and of course, with any new therapeutic modality, a lot of things that we can improve on and work towards. And so it's, it's really nice to talk to you about those in more detail. I wanted to just close by asking you each if you have anything else that you'd like to add for listeners. Austin, would you like to start us off and add anything else that you'd like to share? Absolutely. I echo what we've already said earlier. You know, it is a really exciting time. There, there are cellular therapies that are being developed right now that will potentially in the near term cure some very serious diseases. The field is moving very quickly, though. And so what I would like to leave the uh, listeners with is just to urge them to work with your technology suppliers like Corning. Corning, as well as many other suppliers, are, are developing new technologies at a fast rate to be able to serve this field and to help push forward the cell therapy bioprocessing field. The, the goal here really is to develop the best possible cellular engineering and bioprocessing tools to make this process of generating these therapies much smoother. Just to kind of sum that up, uh, I urge scientists to work with their supplier partners and utilize our expertise to help them develop their processes. I agree with Austin completely on that. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of add in there. That's probably the my favorite part of my job is working with people to try and help them meet their goals. I, I'd, I'd urge them to just keep doing what they're doing, pushing the boundaries with their science. Um, and feel free to please reach out to whoever in, in my team or is relevant in your supplier, reach out and work with them. Let them know what kind of troubles you're facing. See if we have solutions or if we can work together to try and help develop the tools that you need in order to overcome those challenges. There, there's so many really exciting therapies that are in the pipeline and on the horizon that are just Right now, just kind of barely out of reach. I think if we all work together on it, we can push it forward and make those become reality. I love all those points. And I particularly like the idea of partnership, especially with new technologies and new therapeutics. You have the need to really work together as a team with people who have a lot of expertise in various areas and to put together those efficiencies to really 
advance the industry and each individual therapeutic as well. And also, I like the message of pushing the boundaries and to keep pushing the boundaries because I think it's really important to to always keep that in mind and to keep pushing those limits as far as we can go. That's how we have these new breakthroughs. I really appreciate your time today. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, having us, Randy. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To listen to other podcasts related to the discovery, development, and manufacture of biologics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com. And for downstream process topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.